You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Whoa, 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 what's going on here? Is this two episodes in one day? Blake, you've... You've gone crazy. What are you doing putting out two episodes in one day? Well, I'll explain that to you. But first, I need to tell you about something called Sinusoid. Sinusoid Pro Audio Couture. Let me tell you. They say couture, they mean it. They have a custom cable builder on their website that will allow you to configure any cable exactly the way you need it. You can pick the brand of the cable. You can pick the color of the TechFlex. The brand of the connector or the style of connector. Basically, anything you could want to modify about a cable, you can modify it in that custom cable builder, and Sinusoid will take care of you. 100% guaranteed for 100 years. 100-year warranty. So unless you are a member of some sort of undead army, you're not going to have any problems. Just go to Sinusoid.com, check out their custom cable builder, and build the cable of your dreams today. That is www. You don't do Ws anymore, do you? It's not a thing. Just go to Sinusoid.com. Tell them that I sent you, and treat yourself. Okay, okay, what's up with this double episode thing? Well, if you've seen today's earlier episode, you know that it's actually an old episode. It's an episode with Robert Keeley. I explain why it's out again and all that stuff in the the preamble to, to that episode. So if you're curious about that, you can hop back one episode and check it out. But I'll explain what's going on here. So on this episode, I went up to Cascade Cigar and Tobacco here in Portland and sat down with a rock and roll legend. This is Mike Mitchell from the band The Kingsman, who back in the day achieved most of their success through the cover of Louie Louie that was investigated for obscenity by the FBI. And they were a huge, huge band. They've toured for a lot of years. That's still the thing that people know them the most for, but they had a lot of involvement with Sun Amps and some other things that we talk about in this episode. It's a little bit shorter than normal, as Mike didn't have too much time, and we just kind of were able to just throw it together at the last minute and make it happen. So, yes, I sat down with him. It's going to sound a little bit different, but it, it actually worked out okay. There was a large fan slash, like, smoke eater thing running, and so I had to dial out as much of that as I can and it kind of made our voices sound a little bit funny, but it's a lot better than hearing the big fan thing. So sometimes we podcasters just have to deal with the environments that, that are handed to us. But yeah, Mike Mitchell is a great guy, really fun to talk to. I, I would love to have him back on and get some more road stories or something, but we, we had a great conversation, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it, and we gotta we got to treasure these guys while they're still around, kind of get them to tell tell all their tales on podcasts and whatnot. But no, I, I really enjoyed this. I think you guys will too. And yeah, without further ado, on with the show. Hello. 
Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. On this episode, we got a little bit something, a little bit different going on. <laughs> I have, uh, I'm here at uh, Cascade Cigar in, uh, well, I guess it's technically Portland, right? Yes, it is. All right. Happy Valley. Oh, and, uh, oh, thanks, Jess. Just brought over a stogie. All right. This is, this is shaping up to be a great it's podcast. It's a place to have them in town for <laughs> yeah. sure. And um, I'm here also with Mike Mitchell, who you probably know best from being a member of the Kingsman. Aha. Uh-huh. And I know he's done other things that we probably just aren't aware of because of conspiracy theories or something. I have children, so I've <laughs> done other things. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, a lot of you have heard of the Kingsman, and I'm sure you know about their influence and, and the roots, so I don't know if we would need to go too far back into like everything that happened but in your better go back to louis louis yeah we that's, got that's the only thing a lot of people remember yeah that's what i that's what i was thinking go back to louis louis you tell me where you became involved with the band and how that kind of took off from there well we started the band and a little bit of history we're together this is our 60th year nice. playing wow. music and we were going into high school and um i was playing country-western music out at the convention center on the 100th anniversary of Oregon. And in the main hall that's next to the country hall that was out there, Rick Nelson was, well, Ricky Nelson back then, was opening for Roy Rogers. Oh, wow. So I sang my songs on the country stage and happened to walk over and sneak in the back door and walked right by uh, Jimmy Burton playing guitar, and it kind of influenced me into uh, electric guitar instead of acoustic. So I got an I got an electric guitar and a friend of mine from high school that we went into, and I started this band called the Kingsman. Three of us initially, and then we got a fourth guy from the school, and played around the school a little bit before we got a fifth guy, keyboard player, and. He was 15 years old, so uh, wow. he wasn't allowed to tour with us. His parents wouldn't let him go. We, we ended up switching a couple of members right off the bat mm. and played around and ate a lot of cold chicken dinners and played a lot of freebies around for a few years. And uh, in about this time in 1963, we went in the studio to cut a, uh, a song to get a job on a cruise ship. And... Mm. We cut four songs, and Louie Louie just happened to be one of the four songs. The entire recording session cost us $36. <laughs> wow. We, we were in and out of there in an hour. Oh, man. So it was just <laughs> first take, go. And uh, from there on, everything else in the world happened. We started recording, started traveling. Interesting story about gear is that our bass player's name was Norm Sunholm. Uh-huh. He created an amplifier called Sun Amps. Uh-huh. Now, Sun Amps were bigger and louder than anything that were being manufactured at the time. Um, so I had a couple of hundred watts and about four 15s that, uh, that I played through. And uh, it, 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 I used to hit a chord and blow my pant legs forward. It, it had enough power. <laughs> oh, so we awesome. were just just a power band playing rock and roll 
and having fun. It's all it's 60 years of fun. I've mm-hmm. had a great life. So a couple of the local boys, after a couple of years of, of doing this around the country, come to some of the local boys. Jimi Hendrix came down and got some of the amps, started playing them around. And uh, Jimmy was loud enough to where you couldn't get away from Jimmy's sound because he put speakers up in the seats. <laughs> in uh, coliseums and places and auditoriums and so you you got to hear jimmy without feedback or, or the slap back off the back of the arena you got to hear direct jimmy from wherever you were sitting that's a pretty smart so idea he gave his old gear to uh billy gibbons uh wow an acquaintance of mine and uh loved billy gibbons and the guys and uh, he gave his old gear to them. So all of a sudden, there were a couple, three of us that had sun gear playing around the country. So along come the Stones wanted some of them. The Who wanted some of them. Uh, basically, the, the, the big bands went to sun before Marshall came out. He kind of took over that industry. And uh, pretty much our whole career was just slam, bam, and loud and knock you down with sound. And just a ton of fun, just a great time. That's a. Uh, it's interesting that uh, Sun is actually something I really wanted to talk to you about, being since this is supposed to be about gear and things. Sometimes uh-huh. it ventures into other territories, but uh-huh. uh, I knew that that you guys kind of are what propelled that brand forward. And a lot of people don't know that Sun was a Portland-based or Portland area-based company. A lot of people they don't realize that, huh. um, which is kind of weird for locals, right? It's like right. Yeah. We've always kind of known that. Um, but what I I wonder if you followed um, a lot of what have what you were talking about suns being bigger and louder than just about everything else that seemed to just kind of hold true for the entirety of the brand, and uh, I don't know if you've noticed the recent uptake in some of the extremely heavy genres, like really paying attention to sun and buying vintage sun gear, like some of the extreme metals genres are focusing on sun model T's and beta leads. Are and they things. really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're, they've, they've like totally, they, they went from being really affordable, uh-huh. like on the used market to now they're pretty expensive in are a lot of really? cases. Wow. Yeah. Especially yeah. the model T's, the model T's are going for upwards of $3,000. Wow. I wish I'd have kept mine. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> It's kind of crazy, um, but the the sound is kind of, I think what those guys have adopted it for, is is different than what it was intended use was right. type of thing, because um, I think a lot of them are just playing. They have such high headroom, and they goose them with several fuzz pedals and tuned to you know. Well, you had to because yeah. Sun was known for being ninety eight percent clear, only two percent distortion yes. out of hundred yeah. watts. Yeah. yeah. So you had to add pedals to them if you wanted any distortion at all, because they were just clean and clear. Norm, who started the company, walked away from the company right in, the, in its heyday and gave it to his brother, his brother and his dad. And oh, they right. ran the company. And, and Conrad Sunholm still makes a, a, a Conrad amplifier to this day. Makes right. a great mm-hmm. little amplifier for small club use and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're they're nice little amps, but Conrad ran the company, and I think Conrad was pretty much responsible for a lot of the later models of Sun. Oh, okay, huh. okay, that's very interesting. 
Yeah, he's he's still around here he locally is. too, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yeah, we gotta try to rope him into one of these conversations. You one should. Of these days. He's a mm-hmm. very interesting guy, very talented. Yeah. So going back to you know you're talking about your experiences and being you know kind of the biggest loudest band around at the time. Did you guys like think about what you were doing, or was it just like we want to play big and loud? It it had a lot of more impact than than I think what people realized at the time, to the point where some people refer to you guys as almost the first punk rock band. Well, we were that loud. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. For us, it was just fun. It was like a party every night, and uh, we played six nights a week, played four hours a night. Travel 500 miles a day, went through three Greyhound buses, and uh, finally retired all the buses and that, that kind of travel. Mm-hmm. And now, fortunately, it's mostly airplanes, and and uh, we're pretty well taken care of. Nice. Being the older guys. <laughs> yeah. The much older guys. Yeah. But uh, no, it was a great time. It was just a party every night. So we went through... The, the Coliseum series, uh, all the big convention centers and all that, worked our way through the, the down through the college market and played all the colleges, all the major colleges in the country mm-hmm. at one time or another, and then down through the ballrooms, the old, old ballrooms that are still, several of them here in town that we played starting out, and we've gone back and played them again. And uh, now it's it's pretty much wherever you want to throw a big party, we're available. <laughs> and we're still working. I mean, we've got several jobs coming up in the next month or so. We only work in the summertime, though, now. Yeah. We take the winters off, which is nice. Mm-hmm. And you're, are you all still around here in the Portland There's, area? There's uh, three of us here in Portland, one in Salem and uh, one in Seattle. There's six of us now. One in Grants Pass. Okay. So we're all close-ish, northwest kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So that works. Pretty cool. So playing that long, and you've seen probably just about every venue under the sun, no pun intended, and and you've probably seen you know all of these different gear trends come and go with with the the ages. Like, what what is something you've seen remain consistent? Is there anything that like has just always been there since day one? Uh, for me, I have to, I, I can only tell you for me, um, I think just in the amplifier business, I think Fender amplifiers have been the most consistent. Okay. Um, Marshall has done what Marshall does. Box, all these other guys have their own, everybody has their own, spot that they go through. Fender's pretty much remained with their Stratocaster guitars and Strat and and uh, the the country guys playing them, the rock guys, the blues guys really picked up on them. Uh, that's the most consistent as far as amplifiers the 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 world changes and it goes on and on. The electronics are incredible. The pedals have become uh, a different world. Yeah, that's from that's pedal for sure. boards to uh, I mean, some of the pedal boards take longer to set up than amplifiers or staging or anything <laughs> else. So, 
me, I use one one little booster pedal is all I use. And I've gone back back to the 50s, and I use a a Fender cabinet and a an old Fender basement head, and then mm. I boost the hell out of the signal, and that's all I that's all I use. You know what kind of booster is it? Is it a I don't like know. A, <laughs> it's a booster. It's a boost. It's a booster. Right. And it just boosts the signal. It doesn't really change anything. Oh, it's kind of a clean boost. Yeah. yeah. So I run a lot a lot of things through 10-inch speakers now instead of 12s and 15s. So okay. and with it, because everything's amplified now, everything's mic'd. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's, it's, it's a whole different world than what we played in. Right. Which is great. I mean, good for the kids. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can sit with a set of headphones on now and practice in your bedroom. I made my parents crazy yeah. <laughs> playing in the house. Yeah, so did we. Yeah. <laughs> and I made my wife crazy. Uh-huh. And you know, everybody else. You mm-hmm. know, it's a, it's something about playing at an incredible volume. It It's, you know, realistically, it's kind of stupid. But it's one of the best feelings on the planet for those that have done it. Like, yeah. when you've stood in front of serious wattage, cranked up and you just hit just hit a d or something oh yeah it's and like you say your pants blow forward it's just yeah it's, all, it's all like, the movement of the air is yeah. just going through your body uh, so it powerful changes your bloodstream and everything else it changes your heart rate mm-hmm. everything it changes the intonation on the guitar neck the way you, the way that you hit a chord the way you hit single strings mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um it's yeah power is fun yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you were talking about, you know, when you were when you were starting out and it being a party every night. Mm-hmm. And but that's a lot of work too. Or did you see it that way? No. It was a party every night. The only mm-hmm. thing that was a, a pain is the travel. Yeah. And uh when you're playing six nights a week for six weeks at a time. And uh, taking a week or two off. I mean, we were playing 40 weeks out of the year for five years. Oh, wow. And you finally just get burned out, not from the music, but from the travel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and plus music was changing in that five-year period of time. And at the time, it was probably hard to keep track. Like, you'd be gone, and you were gone, you know? You didn't have any a, a phone that playing your music no to phones. you. No Nothing. Yeah. You know, yeah. like... So you might come back around and from your break and go, "What's this new sound we've we're hearing now?" Like we didn't even know that existed. Well, and the problem with with the way our career went is that we were never allowed enough time off to get to. We, we didn't have any really great songwriters in the band, so we relied on copying a lot of other people's music, and we didn't have record time. They'd they'd come out and record us live one show or another show or we'd stop in a studio and record uh, we had a producer that was if we all ended together it was a take so it was that kind of recording wow and the, so the quality and the problem with power amps and recording back then is that the microphones couldn't handle that much power mm-hmm. and they would literally shut down the, the the microphone when you hit a hard enough chord yeah so it was a really tricky uh, thing to get a sound, a decent sound, in a good microphone. Uh, 
it just was too much power for the microphones at the time. The technology at the time hadn't caught up with the power. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it, it's still to this day is you know most recording engineers would prefer somebody bring in a lower powered amp and mm. try to crank it to get the gain. It, it's still really people do record with loud amplifiers, yeah. but it's still a challenge. It's mm-hmm. really still not an easy thing to do. Well, see, all the bands at one time went to the big high power stuff, the Sun stuff, the Marshall stuff, and that's great stuff. I mean, uh, absolutely amazing stuff. Guys that single guitar players that play with with 25 or 30 15 inch speakers <laughs> behind them and a half a dozen amp heads that are playing probably through two amp heads with all those speakers. But still, it's gone down to all the bands went to old Fender amps, smaller, had something they control the sound with, had feel to them. It, when, when amps turned to be electronic, as opposed to tube amps, yeah, uh, it changed the sound dramatically. So you had to to uh, use pedals on that to get a sound. The old tube amps had their own sound, their own warm sound. It was great. Mm-hmm. So all the bands, Stones, everybody went back to old Fender amps that were old tube amps because they have a really nice warm sound to them. Yeah, and then you just mic mic those and put them out to the PAs and the PAs. That's another thing that Norm started was uh, the PA systems. Uh, back when we started, they had the Navy cone horns that you talk to, and it was right there. Yeah, yeah. So you didn't hear any of the vocals over mm-hmm. the power of the, the band. Our drummer used to have to hit his snare drum from above his head. Just an incredible, <laughs> it broke his thumb one time just hitting the snare drum. But we, Norm came up with three speakers and put them up on a tripod on each end of the stage. And our first monitors were a 15 in a deep cabinet on each side of the stage. That was our the original monitors for a band. Never saw anybody that had monitors except sure, sure microphones right. had their own systems. But they were so, they didn't have any power, uh, the kind of power we played through. So Norm came up with this thing and they changed it because a cabinet like Norm made was a real deep cabinet, blasted the sound pretty much straight out. So you had one on each side of the stage. Well, there's a whole V in the middle where the people that are sitting in the first dozen rows in the very middle never heard a word. Right. Because the sound was going past them on each side. So he created that variation, variable sound, and uh, changed and put a horn and a couple of speakers in there. And uh, so it would crisscross the front of the stage and go out from there. And it was it was really inventive at the time. Really inventive. Oh, yeah. That stuff is still used. Yeah. yeah. It's still yep. a feature. That's uh, that's really interesting. Did, did you know, you know, how, that he was kind of electronically or mechan- or engineeringly? I don't know if that's not yes, that's not a word. From day one. Yeah. From day one. Um. He, it got so popular, Sun Amps, that uh, a kid in Kansas City that worked for a music store not only ordered the amps for Kansas City, but Norm was selling them right off the stage, oh, taking, wow. taking orders right off the stage and, and shipping them to every state there is wow. for a while. And he got that until he had to quit the band 
to make amplifiers. I mean, it just took so much of his time up. Yeah. And uh, so he created that big factory, the warehouse that he had out in Lake Oswego there. And uh, that's all he did for a while until he got tired of that and walked away and gave it to his brother and his dad. Oh, he just got sick of it. Just Well, it just, it just got overwhelming for him, and he wanted to do other things. And so since then, he's traveled around the world and had a lot of businesses and done very well. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, good. He's done very well. That's awesome. So, yeah, he's a great guy. I like hearing that. Yeah, like, he still lives in Oregon. lives over the other side of the mountain. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. So I, I feel like I would be in trouble with my listeners if I didn't ask about, uh, this isn't, isn't gear-related at all, but the controversy around oh, that's fun. the Louie Louie. <laughs> oh, the uh, FBI? Oh, yeah. how fun was that? Yeah. Let's talk, <laughs> uh, let's talk about that from your perspective, because that is the craziest sounding thing to me to most people we were sitting in a room back east and we got a knock on the door went and answered the door said so who's there said the fbi went what okay come on in so they came in interviewed the band and all that well the the backstory to that is that we played a lot in indiana and uh they were selling the when the controversy started uh, in Louisiana, college guys called us and wanted to know what the real lyrics were. But it, it kind of went around through the colleges, and then they were selling copies of Louis under the counter in brown paper bags. And right. Some kid went to his mother and said, well, I just bought a copy of this song. It has dirty lyrics. Oh. <laughs> and his mother went to her pastor who was a good friend of the governor of the state of Indiana. So his best friend was J. Edgar Hoover. So oh. he banned the song in Indiana. Well, they banned it in Massachusetts. Oh, three or four states banned the song. So we had lawsuits against these states for banning a record that we didn't consider to be uh, dirty, just unintelligible. So it went on. The uh, FBI was with us at good old J. Edgar's uh, insistence. He wanted to put us in prison. Oh, wow. And uh, we had the FBI with us for a year and a half at every show, standing down next to the speaker, listening, see if we said anything off color, at which time we'd have been ushered off the stage and, right. and handcuffed, I'm sure. But... Uh, they were great guys. If you look at old TV shows of the FBI, the little skinny ties, the black suits. Yeah. That, they, that's these fit these guys to a T. They're great guys. <laughs> and some of them are still around. We still talk to a couple of them. Right. So they, uh, we had a song called Jolly Green Giant. Yes. Well, the, the Green Giant Company, are, there's an East Coast office and a West Coast office. Well, the East Coast office was suing us, and the West Coast office was selling, or not selling, but sending big 15-foot plastic versions of this green giant guy <laughs> and cases of beans and corn and all of that, the, the cans. Right. Cans, of, yeah, well, we threw ties out, we threw picks out, cufflinks, we'd you know, throw them out to the crowd. But you can't throw a can of beans. <laughs> not, yeah. not, not very well. well. Yeah, no. Cold cock a little kid. 
so the FBI guys would pass these cans of beans and corn out to the crowd for us. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it's incredible. They're great guys. Absolutely great guys. So this went all the way to the top. And a, and a federal judge finally deemed the, the song unintelligible at any speed and the worst piece of shit he'd ever heard. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so and we were proud of that. That's awesome. J. Edgar Hoover shows up in a dress. Somebody took a picture of him in a red dress. The next day, the FBI guys were gone. Oh, wow. Oh, gone. That's amazing. Yeah. So somebody, That's, I didn't know that. Somebody took a picture of Jay Edgar Hoover, Edgar in, a Hoover dress? In, a, in a red dress. Wow. That's, yeah. That's that probably awesome. wouldn't have went over super that well. Jay Edgar Hoover lost his job. Uh-huh. Well, when you spend that many uh, federal dollars to try to figure out what an unintelligible lyric That's is, exactly <laughs> right. you're not exactly efficient exactly in your right. position. Yeah. Oh, he was a powerful man. I mean, it's, it's, oh, yeah. He did a lot of stuff. But... Thanks to him, you know, that, that whole thing got uh, a conclusion, came to a conclusion. And uh, it, uh, there are people that still don't believe that it's not a dirty song in one way or another. Everybody has their own lyrics. Right, uh -huh. right, we, right, right. We played colleges and, and everybody, girls that get their own lyrics out of their purses. So I never saw any eyes. I always saw it was the top of their heads while they were reading their own lyrics while we were playing the song. <laughs> That's so crazy. Yeah, like was, trying to see if they were right. Yeah. Or? yeah well, they, uh, their lyrics fit. All, all kinds of lyrics fit. I've seen hundreds of different lyrics and everything, and they all seem to fit. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's really funny. So, so the, the truth of it is that it is just unintelligible. It's mumbling. unintelligible, and I don't know the real lyrics myself. I'm just a guitar player. <laughs> See, that's the uh, best part. And so, yeah, and now nobody will ever know. Yeah, straight from the horse's mouth. There you go. That's amazing. <laughs> well, yeah, I I told you we'd only try to keep you for thirty, so we're we're right there. Okay. Um, and uh, do you? I, I I got just a couple more questions. Okay. I can tell you to start with, oh, uh, for everybody to go to our website, it's current, it's up to date, it's called louielouie.org, O-R-G. Oh. All right. <laughs> and it's the official website, go on there, and you can see the band as we played four months ago, that concert or part pictures from that concert are on the website. Cool. And it goes clear back to the, the beginnings, a lot of the TV shows that we did, Shindigs and all of those, those shows. The Hullabaloo's and everybody had a local TV show. Uh, we're all on there, so it's about seven mm. different pages. You can go down, and you can. It's it's an active site, so you can send pictures in, you can text in, or email in, and we'd be glad to hear from people that are out there. Send some stuff into the website. Oh, for sure. So yeah, you, I'll put. You the, got old pictures and stuff. We'd love to see them. I'll put the put the link in the show notes for for everybody, so it'll be. Real easy for them to click over to that and and see all of that stuff. It's a little hard to remember, though. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who could remember that? Yeah. But one thing I I would like to ask, and this is this this might be interesting because you've been playing music longer than this company's been in existence. But mm. for a lot of a lot of my guests, they uh, it's you know it's always been in their lives basically. But what is your favorite, if you have one, boss pedal? I don't have any. Don't have any. There I you. don't have any. No. Hmm. 
he did, he did so say just, it was just the boost, but it was a, it's a question that I've been trying to work into every podcast, so I, I had know, to ask I, it. I, I'd probably play, play better if I had them. Hmm. My brother plays in the band, and he's got a, a, a thing he opens up that's got a dozen pedals in it. And he's always messing with it. Oh, yeah. You know, it's always one thing needs to be turned up or down or adjusted or this or that. One little thing goes out and the whole thing is a mess. Uh, I've got one pedal to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Simple. It's, I simplify everything at this point in my life. Yeah. It's not yeah, a bad way to do it. That's yeah. Fair. All right. Then this is the this is the question I ask every guest. or it's It's been a standard question for a long time. And it... Uh, the one that everybody waits for. What is your favorite kind of pizza? Pizza, God. Um, well, I'm a cheese guy, so mm. I, I like New York pizza. I love Chicago deep dish. We had that for the first time 30, 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, we are, our names are signed in some pizza restaurant in Chicago. Uh I like a lot of the homemade pizzas because you add more stuff to them. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I like cheese. Yeah, if you're a Chicago deep dish fan, I must like the yeah, cheese. Yeah, I do. Uh -huh. I do. Cheese is good. Yeah. I love it. Love it. That's a good answer. And uh, thanks for taking the time to sit down with us. It's been really fun. And oh, it's my pleasure. Thank won't, you. Won't keep you any longer, but this is uh, this has been really great. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks, kids. Later. Yeah, thank you. All right. All right. For Mike and Jess, this is Blake. As always, folks, good luck and good tones. Okay, there you have it. There it is. An episode with Mike Mitchell. Yeah, I had a lot of fun talking to him, and, and we, we probably should have just left the mics rolling a little bit because we talked for a decent amount of time afterwards, and, I well, I guess he did share some things he didn't really want public, but, hey, you know, that's how it goes. Uh, if you need more content in your life, you can go to patreon.com slash tonemob. We've got extra episodes up there every week. Sometimes it's extended interviews with guests. Sometimes you get sneak previews for things like this. Patreon folks have already listened to this here a few weeks ago. And yeah, there's just all kinds of extra little goodies in there for you if that's your thing. If you could leave us a review on iTunes, that would be fantastic. I mentioned this on the first episode of the day that... Uh, Anything between now and Friday, the 24th, if you leave a review on iTunes between now and then, you're going to be eligible for a giveaway I'm doing. What am I giving away? Well, I haven't quite figured that out yet. Probably some sort of awesome gear-related thing. That's all I can say at this point. But uh, some of the Facebook group members have already hopped in there and left some fresh reviews. It's been a while since we did any kind of push on that, so if you guys could slide over there, leave us a review, that would be fantastic. Otherwise, I'll be back next week with more regular tone mobbery and not so much of the funny business that you're experiencing today. But hope you enjoyed it anyway. And if you need anything, you know where to find me. Shoot me an email at info at tonemob.com. Hit me up on the socials, wherever, for whatever. I'll do my best to help. Thank you so much for tuning in. Talk to you next time. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, 
go to tonemob.com slash stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com slash stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out.